Good morning. You know, last uh, week we began a 16-week series in uh, Mark's Gospel. And this is going to take us right through to August 21st. However, along the way, I'm going to interrupt the series uh, four times. And uh, this Sunday is one of those Sundays. On April 3rd, I I shared a message here entitled, uh, Guard Your Heart with the Gospel. And I'm sure I don't remember every title of every message I ever preach, but I think this is one of my favorite. It just rings so good to me. Guard your heart with the gospel, with the good news. Well, this morning I'd like to continue on the same topic, but before I do, I would like to actually take eight to nine minutes to review, to summarize what I said on April 3rd. I began by reading an ancient proverb a proverb that's probably close to 3,000 years old now, a proverb that King Solomon shared with his son or maybe sons, and it simply went like this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know, as we read the Bible, it becomes so very clear that the heart can function in so many different ways. And in fact, if you look at all the verbs, uh, that describe how the heart functions. I think you can find 25 or is it up to 37 different things the heart can do for you. Like it can discern. And boy, don't we all want discerning hearts? Hey, hey, the heart can worship. Wow. Is there a better use for the heart than worship? Hey, hey, the heart can think. The heart can trust. The heart can believe. The heart can have faith. And the heart can exercise choices. All these functions of the heart, friends, have led Bible teachers to say this about the heart. This is just a good working definition of what the heart is in the Bible. The heart, the seat of the intentions, thoughts and emotions, serves as the control center of our entire anatomy. So what was the father getting at when he said to his son, above all else, son, I want you to guard your heart. Well, on Sunday, April 3rd, I said, you know, when we think of guarding the heart, we often think of just just keeping trash out of our hearts. Trashy magazines, trashy literature, trashy movies, and most certainly thing, most certainly pornography, which is a devastating plague in our day. Now, most certainly, friends, it's a good thing to keep foolishness, foolishness out of one's heart. But that is not what the father was getting at when he said to his son, above all else, guard your heart. In my understanding, or should I say in the words of Paul Koptak, the father was saying this. The father was calling his son to fill his heart full of all the wise teachings he had passed on to him. I agree with that interpretation. And I do so because I've, as I've read over Proverbs chapter 4 many, many, many times, it becomes very, very clear to me that this father is asking, or should I say, passionately begging his son to listen to what he has to say to him. This father is not a passive father. He believes life is full of very important choices, and he wants his son to make the wise choices so he'll not suffer the consequences of bad choices. So let me share with you some of the words he uses as he speaks to his son. He he says to his son, I want you to lay hold of. Son, I want you to embrace, keep, love, accept, I want you to hold on to, listen to, and to pay attention to everything I've taught you. And most certainly, friends, that included 
the laws of the Old Testament, including some of those wonderful Ten Commandments. Furthermore, as Proverbs 4.23 makes so very clear, the father wanted his son to know that everything he does flows from his heart. That the heart is really everything. And you know, as we read the Bible, it becomes very clear that God's not overly concerned about appearance. He's really concerned about what's going on in the heart. And I can tell you this morning, friends, without a, a shadow of a doubt, that God wants to always be at work in our hearts. He, he really cares what's going on. And he wants to have us to have a heart like he does. Therefore, son, guard your heart well. Because all your attitudes, all your words, and all your actions will flow from it. On April 3rd, I illustrated this one single proverb with this illustration. I ask you to imagine that this towel represented all the wise teachings of that real passionate, caring father. And I ask you to visualize that this vase here was the son's heart. And really what the father was saying to his son, I want you to fill your heart with everything that is good. Absolutely everything that is good, and ultimately it'll flow out of you. It'll flow out, it'll show up in your behavior, it'll show up in your actions. But let me get just a little more specific, and I didn't mention this when I spoke on April 3rd. But when you read Book of Proverbs, and it doesn't take that long to read, here's more specifically what the father was saying to his son. He was saying to his son, love God with all your heart. Reverence him. Stand in awe of him. Hey, avoid guys who are out to get something for nothing. They're part of every culture. They steal, they take what's not there. Avoid those guys. And he, and he was saying to his son, he takes three chapters to do this. Find sexual pleasure at home. Delight in your wife of your youth. And he was saying to his son, would you be teachable? Would you tell the truth always? Would you be honest? Would you overlook offenses? Oh, son, please overlook offenses because they're always going to come. And son, you, you'll be perpetrator of some, some of those and you need to forgive because you want other people to forgive you. Be generous, work hard. Yes, store up all these things in your heart. Internalize these truths, son. And you know what? They're going to flow out of you. And they'll be a big blessing. You'll be a big blessing to your family, to yourself, and to all you encounter. A timeless lesson for sure. But on April 3rd, I also said this. We need to read the Old Testament always in light of the New Testament, but more specifically, in light of the gospel. And by gospel, I simply mean this. All that God has done for you in Christ, all that God is doing for you in Christ, and all that God will do for you in Christ. Friends, as I stated on April 3rd, I believe nothing will guard your heart like the gospel. So on that Sunday, I mentioned three aspects of the gospel that I think we should guard our hearts with always. And the first one was simply this. In Christ, you are loved. And you know, you can say it, but not really believe it. And friends, I think we really need to internalize this awesome truth that we are loved through and through because of Christ. Friends, God loved us so much that he sent his son some 2,000 years ago to this planet. And when he was here, friends, he did so many wonderful things, but ultimately he took upon himself all our sins, all of the sins of the whole world that will ever be committed and paid the penalty once and for all so that humanity can be forgiven and enjoy a relationship with God forevermore. Friends, we need to internalize this awesome truth 
There's one verse of scripture I shared that Sunday that says that God lavishly poured out his love on us. Not just a little love. He lavishly poured out his love on us, meaning extravagantly, generously. And so I encourage you to visualize God pouring his love out on you as we talk about in, as Paul talks about in Romans 5, 5. He is pouring his love, friends, into our hearts. Let this awesome aspect of the gospel, his great love for you, guard your heart. Secondly, on April 3rd, I said that the gospel teaches us that we're actually, and this is outrageous, we're declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God because of our relationship to Christ. For a moment, I'd like to encourage you to visualize yourself standing in the presence of a holy God, the majestic God. And he looks at you and he says, Harry, I know you're a work in progress, but I have declared you righteous because of Christ. You have received the gift of righteousness because you have trusted in my solution to your sin. Yes, guard your heart with this wonderful truth. Friends, we are not on a performance-based relationship with God. And I just praise God for that. And finally, on April 3rd, friends, I said we could guard our hearts with this encouraging aspect of the gospel. God is not passive. He's at work in our hearts even now so that we'd will and act according to his good purposes. And as he made so very clear to the church in Philippi, he says, hey, the good work I began you in you, I'm going to bring it to completion. That's Philippians 1.6. So guard your heart with this aspect of the gospel as well. And friends, on that Sunday I said, I I'm convinced that the gospel in all its fullness is actually really good for our inner beings. It's really good for our hearts. Hearts that need to know we're loved. Hearts that need to know we're forgiven. Hearts that need to know that God is in the business of not leaving us alone, but always working in us. In essence, that is what I shared on April the 3rd. And so why part two? Several reasons. Firstly, and this is so deeply personal to me, because I'm more excited than ever about guarding my heart with the gospel. Yes, the gospel is encouraging my heart in more profound ways than I think it ever has. Now, admittedly, I've been thinking about the gospel for a long time in my life, especially how it applies to, say, my marriage. Boy, does the gospel speak to our marriages. How the gospel speaks to my vocation, my relationships, my thought life, my resources, etc., etc. Friends, the gospel speaks to everything we think and do. The gospel always has a good word for us. Now, admittedly, I've often said to myself, and maybe 20 years ago I started thinking in these terms, Harry, preach the gospel to yourself, especially when you're not acting on it. Preach it to yourself. Yes, let the great truths of the gospel shape you, encourage you, mold you, strengthen you. Let the gospel transform you from the inside out. So friends, guarding my heart with the gospel or preaching the gospel to myself is not a new concept to me. But I must say, I have a desire, I believe a, re a renewed desire, a God-given desire to be shaped by the gospel in a deeper and a more profound way as I live out the last quarter of my life. So God being my helper, I'm going to let the gospel, yes, everything that God has done for me, is doing, and will do for me in Christ, shape me, encourage me like never before. And now I'm feeling a little vulnerable and very much accountable. I've told 500 people that today. But you know, that's okay. 
On the back of today's handout, you'll see a list of 10 things that God has done for us, is doing, and will do for us in Christ. I've been thinking about these things for a long time. And in fact, the list should be about 50 long. At least 50 long. Truths that I would encourage you to fill your hearts with. Yes, stuff your hearts full, friends, of the fact that you are forgiven. That God is at work in your heart. Fill your heart, friends, with this great truth that one day you're going to be with him forever. And that you're going to be like Christ. Fill your hearts with these truths. And friends, I can say to you, nothing will guard your heart like the gospel. And you know, now I know I'm speaking to many people who have been doing this, that, some of you for 50 years. You've been letting the gospel shape your heart. Secondly, I honestly tell you this. I chose to continue this morning because of a conversation I had a few days after I speak. I spoke on this topic. I was at uh, Kamloops Seniors Village, and I came across Alan Megan Perry at dinner time, and I sat down to say hi, and it ended up to be a 15-minute conversation. Alan Megan attended this church for about 10 years before moving into Kamloops Seniors Village. They're now in their 90s. I believe Al is 94. They're both very articulate still. They've been married over 70 years. And Al in particular is probably the most optimistic person that I've ever encountered. He makes it a practice to see all the good around him. He makes it his practice to tell you how good and Megan have it at Kamloops Seniors Village. He always has a word of thanksgiving. But, and this is why I tell you the story, on April 6th, he and Megan shared with me how deeply troubled they were with the many crises going on in our world today. They had probably overdosed on bad news. They watched a little too much TV, whatever it was. But they were particularly concerned, friends, not for so much for themselves or even their children, but their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They didn't know how these kids were going to make it up in this crazy mixed-up world we're living in. And you know, I'm sure we can all relate to Alan Megan. For we too know what it's like to be maybe overwhelmed by just too many tragedies going on, which seems like in every corner of the globe. Therefore, friends, the need, the need to guard our hearts with the gospel. For these two reasons, then, I'd like to continue on the topic of guarding your heart. And uh, you might say to yourself, boy, Pastor, you've taken a long time to get to the beginning of your sermon. But I'm going to be fairly precise now. Although this morning I could very easily focus on that, on any number of those things listed on the back of your bulletin this morning or your handout, different aspects of the gospel, I'd like to speak on two New Testament commands this morning that are very much aimed at guarding our hearts. So then, two more things we can do to guard our hearts. Said another way, two more things we can fill our hearts with that will have a transforming effect upon us. The first one is this, and many of you know this. Guard our hearts with God's peace. And how do we do that? Well, the New Testament is actually quite clear. In Philippians, we read this incredible verse. I'm going to read it twice. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
do not be anxious about anything, anything, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, or the peace of Christ, they're interchangeable, will transcend, which transcends all understanding, which tells me that the brightest people out here this morning can never fully appreciate where this comes from. Yes, it will transcend all understanding, and it will guard your heart. That's a military term. It's, it's like peace will guard your heart like a group of soldiers around your heart. Friends, the gospel is a message of peace. We have peace with God through faith in Christ. We are no longer at odds with him because our sins have been dealt with. But Paul's talking about something different here. He's talking about experiencing God's peace or the peace of Christ in the depths of your being, regardless of what you're facing. It's talking about experiences somehow, this God-given tranquility in the midst of chaos. In times of crisis, Paul is saying, in times of stress, in times when things are not working as they should, and in times when world chaos seems to be just overwhelming us, we should come to God in prayer. And when we do, when we do, Paul is saying, we can experience the peace of God. For Paul, friends, the antidote or the solution to anxiety, to anxiousness, is God's peace. Let's take a closer look. The people to whom Paul was writing lived in a little city in northern Greece called Philippi. And they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So you might say they had a good reason to be uptight, to be anxious. And I'm sure, in addition to that, they face all the things that any human being experiences at any time in history. We're all in this together. There are times we're anxious because of poor health or maybe a relationship gone sideways or being misunderstood, loss of a loved one, a strained marriage, children going sideways, job insecurity, not to mention political and social problems that just seem to keep coming at us. And Paul's advice? To all the things that could make us anxious, he simply says, do not let them. Do not let them. And that seems far too simple of a solution. When emotions are running through us at 100 miles an hour and just overwhelming us. But please note that Paul's not saying, handle this by yourself. He is saying in all those moments when things are causing you to be uptight, come to God in prayer. Come to him with thanksgiving. And then when we do, his peace will reign in our hearts. Friends, I don't think that we can ever pray that all our problems will go away, that all our crises will disappear. The only way that's going to happen is if you leave this planet. But I think what Paul is saying so clearly, in the midst of all the things that can possibly go wrong, you can still experience God's peace. It's offered to you in Christ. And furthermore, and once again, it's a God-given tranquility that really transcends our understanding. You might not even know why you're so peaceful in the midst of chaos. And it's God giving you his peace. Friends, I think it's fair to say that everyone in this room will need this peace. Because crises and chaos come our way. Not all the time, but a day will come when you'll be up against it and you will need the very thing that Paul is talking about in this passage. You know, I think it was four months ago now, my sister uh, had lung cancer surgery. 
Initially, the doctors believed they had got it all, but a more recent test said the cancer was back and it was very aggressive. So they have begun now radiation and chemotherapy. But about three weeks ago, when my sister was in to see the oncologist, uh, she just went, says, come on, doctor, just please tell me. It was a young doctor. She was 37 years old. And she says, would you just tell me really what I'm up against here? And, and this young doctor, with tears flowing down her, her cheeks, looked at my sister and says, we're not talking about years now. We're talking about months. As my sister listened to the doctor, she just sat there peacefully. And she said to the doctor, I've had such a great life. She said later to me, that was my answer to prayer. I was praying for God's peace in the midst of this trying situation. She also said later, and I know where my peace comes from. God's peace, God-given tranquility, can fill our hearts in the most difficult of circumstances. So let us ask God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the peace that trans all understanding when our day of trial comes. What a great way what a great way to guard your heart. And secondly, this may be the most profound thing we can do of all, and that is to guard our hearts by allowing Jesus himself to reign there. As we read in the first part of 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, yes, in the depths of your being, in the control center of your life, revere Christ as Lord or as the old NIV translation puts it, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. In this verse, the Apostle Peter was exhorting and encouraging believers to make a deep inner commitment to Christ. Why would Peter ask this congregation, this Christian congregation, to do this? Well, the context tells us why. If you read earlier on in chapter 3, you'll see that this church, just like the church in Philippi, was under intense persecution. And Peter did not want this church to be run by fear. He didn't want these people's hearts to be filled with dread and fear. And so he directed them, commanded them to set apart Christ Jesus and allow him to reign there. Yes, let the king himself, King Jesus, rule in your hearts rather than fear. And you know, to me, this makes so much sense. For we know what fear is like when it's running in our heart. Boy, a lot of bad things happen. We just can't function when fear is ruling in our hearts. Fear keeps us from love. Fear keeps us from doing the right thing. Fear can even keep us from speaking up. You know, I can remember as clear as day when I was 18, I was in charge of a committee at my high school, and I had to get up in the front of the student body of about 250 people, and I froze. I was absolutely fearful. That was a bad experience for me. Fortunately, I had a vice chairperson who got up and handled the rest of the meeting. I can remember playing in a golf tournament one time, and I was probably a little over my head at this tournament, and I had a 15-foot putt on the first hole. I hit it 25 feet past the hole. My hands were going like this, and I couldn't <laughs> stop them. That, that's what fear can do. And, you know, that's kind of an inconsequential situation. But there's some situations in life that you simply cannot let fear rule in your heart. And so Paul says the solution is to let the king rule in your heart. And we know when he's ruling, we have more love, more patience, 
more direction, more purpose. Because that's what Christ will do when he's reigning in the depths of our being. So keep allowing Jesus to reign as Lord in your heart, the control center of your life. To revere Jesus as Lord is to say, he is my king. And friends, that's who he is. That was Dave's message last week. The king has come. And the king will return one day. To revere Jesus as Lord is to allow his agenda to be yours. You know, when you think of your identity, and boy, your identity in Christ is so rich. One of your points of your identity is simply this. I am his disciple. His agenda matters to me. You know, also to revere Jesus as Lord is to recognize the authority that the Father has given him. Remember what he said in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Wow, Jesus has the right to rule in my heart. So when, friends, when we allow him to reign, we're simply giving Jesus his rightful place. The book of Colossians makes it clear you were created by him and actually for him. So the most proper thing we can do is to let the king reign in our hearts. You know, according to the Bible, that's actually where history is moving. One day, every tongue will confess. Every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of the Father. So let's keep allowing him to reign in our hearts. On April 3rd, I said, guard your hearts with the gospel. But maybe the better way to say it is guard your heart with the king himself. He is the essence of the gospel. I close with three questions that really summarize everything I've said these two Sundays. The first question is this. Are you guarding your hearts with the great truths of the gospel? Boy, when I was a teenager, I, I wish I believed this through and through. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're his child. He embraces you. He has good plans for you. He has a purpose for your life. Fill your hearts with these aspects of the gospel. Secondly, are you guarding your heart with the peace of God? Yes, with God-given tranquility offered to us in Christ so that we can handle anything that comes our way. When you're up against it, don't go see a friend first. Don't go to see a professional counselor first. And you may, you may need to. Begin with God. Sit quietly and invite his peace to reign in your heart. An even better question. Who's guarding your heart? Who is guarding your heart? Is it Jesus Christ, the king himself? Are you allowing him to reign in your heart as your Lord? I can tell you this, he sure wants to. He sure wants to. In closing today, I'm going to invite you to sing a song. It's called Lord Reign in Me. And let's once again, as we sing this, invite him just to reign in our hearts and keep singing that song all the time. Sometimes you might need to say 10 times a day, Lord, reign in me. Some days, maybe 25 times. But let's just keep saying it. Lord, reign in me.